Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I'm talking to a guy that I go way back with. We've known each other, worked with each other since like 2014 or something insane like that. And so we're going to be talking about the commerce tech stack and where e-commerce is headed and all kinds of other fun stuff. But I'm delighted to welcome to the show Mr. Aaron Sheehan. He is the Director of Competitive Strategy at Big Commerce. Aaron, welcome to the show. And how's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks, Brett. It's nice to see you again. Absolutely. What's what's hilarious, to me anyway, and to us probably, uh, maybe others will find it funny. So we're uh, both in Springfield, Missouri, right? Most of the guests on this show are... LA, New York, somewhere global, who knows. Um, but we are literally, I think if you looked out the window of your building, you would see my building. We are that close to each other. We probably could have just done this podcast in the same room. Uh, but here we are in our respective offices, like, you know, a uh, quarter of a mile away or something. So it's awesome. I think our guests, your guests might have the belief that Springfield is really tiny now. That like because of we grow know <laughs> that we can see each other's offices. It's a little bit bigger than that. It's passable. It's a little bigger than that. See uh, Brett's house if he if he, yeah, closes the blinds. I can't see what he's having for dinner. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not that not that small of a town. Missouri State University is here. It's the home of Bass Pro. It's the home of O'Reilly Automotive. Like there's stuff happening in Springfield, Missouri. A uh, greater metros, a half a million or something like that. And uh, the total, I used to be in TV, so I think in uh, TV demographic or designated market areas, it's really like number 70 in the U.S. So, so you know, mid-sized market, maybe a little bit bigger, but but yes, we are in Springfield together, which is which is super awesome. And, and so I want to know this, I'm sure others are wondering this, Aaron, but what is the director of competitive strategy? What do you do? What does that look like? That's a great question. Um, I have not yet quite figured it out myself. So I just hit one year last week at Big Commerce. Uh, I keep doing things here and I, eventually uh, somebody will tell me what my actual job is. Uh, what do I have to do here? Well, I, I do things and uh, yeah, I'm a business person. Uh, so it's actually, it's a, it's a sort of a, a, a series of you know, duties and concerns, but the primary role of the director of competitive strategy is to advise the business, the Big Commerce business on what our competitors are doing, what the larger market is asking for, and how we can best be competitive uh, with uh, big commerce and feedonomics and speaking to the merchants and brands uh, whom we serve. So that takes a lot of different flavors. So there's a, there's a sort of a, a research hat that you wear when you're going through and trying to figure out, uh, listening to podcasts like this one, you know, what is what is what are the trends? What is happening in e-commerce? What direction is the economy taking the business? There's also uh, a piece of that that is sales enablement. So um, competitive intelligence is the sexy part of the job. So that's the, um, but and that usually manifests as enabling our sellers, our partner managers, our account executives to have accurate, up-to-date information on how to position big commerce properly in deals and understanding, then advising back to our product and engineering team and merger and acquisition team, like, where do we need to be going, right? Not where is the puck, but where is the puck going to be? Um, and that's a really, really overused analogy. Yeah, it is, but it's still good. Get a tip, Matt Wayne Gretzky. Love that guy. Classic. 
it's classic. Yeah, it's classic. Um, so that's that's a lot of what it is, and then there's a certain amount of you know publicly representing big commerce uh, evidence on you know podcasts and fine shows like this. Yes, I love it. I love it, and uh, and that's why I'm excited about this show really because I want to talk about kind of where you view e-commerce is headed, and I'll share my perspective as well. Uh, even if you know listeners of the show are are perfectly happy with their tech stack right now. There's always this thought of what's coming, what's next, what do I need to be thinking about? Do I go headless? Do I add to my tech stack? Do I add apps? Do I do I replatform? What do I do? So understanding kind of where things are because yeah, we have to consider where the industry is headed, where the where the puck is going, so to speak, and we gotta we gotta skate to it. I also love how you answered that where you're like, I don't know, we're still figuring it out because I don't know if you're this way, Aaron, and you're a really smart guy. When I'm hanging out with family or other people, they're like, so what is it that you do? Like, I looked at your website or I did this, but I have no idea what you do. Do you struggle with explaining what you do, like at family reunions and things like that? Very much so. Very yeah. much so. It it helps. E-commerce is something that's pretty accessible to most people. Almost everyone like has some engagement with the industry. Um it's the all the the plumbing and stuff that's sort of like yeah. behind the experience that is a little opaque to to a lot of folks. But yeah, definitely it can be challenging. But it's been worse in the past, so this is actually not too bad. It's getting better. Yeah, it's funny. My my niece, uh, my sister's uh, daughter, was telling all her friends at school. She lives in Kansas City. That uh, her uncle Brett was one of the owners of Google, and so I was super famous there for a little while. Uh, yeah, it was right. unbeknownst to me. I, I don't know where I'm hiding all the cash and all the stock options, but so there you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, so yeah, mis- misconceptions as to what we do in digital marketing, but the way I like to explain it is, hey, we help e-commerce companies get more customers and scale. And I know you you help navigate and and help e-commerce companies make good business decisions, right? And then and you help big commerce make good business decisions. And so we're going to be diving into that just a little bit. Um, first of all, I, I um, and we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, I was really keen on big commerce and paid a lot of attention to big commerce kind of in my very early days in e-com. And then kind of the whole world shifted to Shopify, or at least the the area of e-commerce that, that OMG uh, primarily plays in. Uh, but I got invited to the, I spoke at an event in Miami, met Juan Jacinto and, and Dan, um, on the big commerce team, they invited me to the partner summit in in Austin last year. That's where you and I reconnected, uh, even though we live, you know, our offices are a quarter of a mile away. We had to meet up in Austin. Um, but I was so impressed by what big commerce is doing and kind of the roadmap and the, you know, the ideal client profile that uh, the big commerce is building for. And so I was pr- pretty excited about it. And I think not a lot of people know what big commerce is doing. But but why are you excited about big commerce and where where it's headed? Now, a great question. So I've wanted to work at big commerce for some years because um, I was on the other side of the table for many years as an agency partner doing implementations. And you and I know, right, at the time, 2014, 2015, that was primarily Magento. Right, right. Was yeah, Magento. That, that was that's still the glory days of Magento. It really was, yeah. Um and so it was it was the best it was the best option for an awful lot of people. The platform became very enterprise grade and, and frankly a little on the overcomplicated side for a lot of merchants and i know you felt that as well on the totally. OP side when you're just trying to get a product feed to work and you know you've got to employ a team of five developers to figure out how to make it how to make it reliable and map attributes yeah. stuff and you know for most merchants all that's overhead that's coming out of your margins directly the more the more time that a brand spends as an it company 
the less they are spending on growing their funnel, optimizing conversions, and adding channels and broadening reach, right? Yeah, wouldn't it be great to spend that, redeploy that cash into product development or product enhancement or improving the customer experience or marketing, getting more customers. Oh, wow, what an idea. Yeah. Yeah. A little self-serving, but also true. Very much so. This this, this podcast paid for by OMG Media. Um, (laughs) The... The what impressed me about BigCommerce at the time that I started becoming, I, I too sort of became aware of BigCommerce and started working with them back back many years ago, was the platform was very mature uh, for what it enabled, and there were the way it was built was very much allowed for an easy transition from a Magento environment to BigCommerce. There's a lot of feature parity, a lot of the concepts were the same, and it was stuff that you know you mentioned Shopify earlier. Shopify didn't have, and still doesn't in many cases. Um, you know, some 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 things I consider sort of basic e-com. And the people were very warm and very knowledgeable here. Like it, it was definitely a company of entrepreneurial hustlers, but who are also kind. And I think, and I, you know, you say that, and you're like, what does that, what does that mean in the business context? Like, why do I, why do I care? Um, when you're on the partnership side of it, and you're working, you're going into delivery to solve problems for your merchants, your joint merchants, you actually want kind people you trust on the other side of that table, kind of doing business business together. And that's not necessarily the norm uh, in tech even. And that really sort of stuck with me as like, I, I liked working with these folks. Um, I hope I can do it again, you know? And so I took another agency. I, I went to another agency, went to the Big Commerce Partnership Program a second time. Um, and then... Post COVID or during COVID, I uh, had the opportunity to come over here uh, finally and uh, work uh, from Springfield, Missouri. Worked for Big Commerce. Crazy. Crazy, good for you. And um, jumped at the chance to to do it because I've I've always liked working with with Big Commerce's uh, folks and and the product. And uh, I saw an opportunity and it kind of jumped on it real quick because uh, I wanted to be here. Love it, love it, and. I really like that perspective too, and this is something we try to do at OMG, and, and I think the best agencies, the best brands also embrace this, where you can be really business savvy and have smart strategy and be sophisticated there, but also be kind and be and be a good partner and like be a good human, and I think that actually uh, works really, really well in today's environment, and so uh, this idea of collaboration and multiple people winning, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing, and I know it's the same thing, hanging out with the big partner or big partner big commerce partner summit and other things uh really dig the team and then like the vibe going on there which is which will look great um so let's let's pivot a little bit let's talk about e-commerce globally and and you mentioned to me before you record you're on the road a lot you're going to shows you're at shop talk uh we were just at i was not but we were just at uh, prosper and Etel west and a bunch of other things so uh we get to kind of rub shoulders and talk to merchants we're in an interesting environment, Aaron, right? Where you got like inflation, which is maybe improving, maybe not. You got people talking about a credit crisis. You still have a conflict in Ukraine. You got all these things that they really have created some some uncertainty. You got bank failures. And so like there, there's a lot of negative news. And you know, I see people that I really trust on, on LinkedIn, like my buddy Jeremy Horowitz. I think you're connected with him as well, like Gorgeous, talking about Hey, there's there's some real things to be concerned about as a business owner and as a brand right now, but also as as I go to events or and I haven't been to one in a few months, but as I talk to brand owners, people are still growing. They're st- they still got their foot on the accelerator, and yes, cautious about what's going on, but I think 
you know, the best brands understand, hey, there's always opportunity to grow. There's always opportunity to improve. But how would you describe the current state of e-commerce and like what, what just what's your global outlook on e-commerce right now? Bullish still. We're we're long past the point at which e-commerce is sort of a novelty channel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will it like, stick? Will it not stick? Why is this, is this internet thing for real? I don't know. You know, I we're 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 so far on that curve. Like you know, through it, COVID provided. I think COVID was a moment of maybe um, wild fiduciary optimism oversampling on a white right. event. In that the growth projection, e-commerce grew incredibly fast in a very short period of time. And if you kind of jumped on the bubble, expecting the bubble to continue at that pace, you probably feel like we're in the middle of a giant depression right now. Realistically, if you took COVID out and and looked at the projections, e-commerce is still ahead of where it was in 2019 by a healthy amount and projected to be higher in 20 this year, 2024 and going forward. These these aren't going away, right? You know, we're transacting on phones, we're still transacting on on computers. Um, I think a quick side note there too, Aaron, because we we did this too at OMG. Like we we uh, invested in our team and hired pretty dramatically during the pandemic to, tr- you know, because we just saw e-commerce taking off. Then e-commerce slowed down a little bit. But if that was you, and then you're seeing a bit of that retraction, hey, you're you're in the same company as Shopify. You're in the same boat as, as Google. You're in the same boat as Amazon. Uh, you know, really, all the big te- tech companies have had to pull back a little bit, and you know, even engage in layoffs and things like that. So. Yeah, yeah, it can sort of feel like, oh, wow, it's doom and gloom. But if you look at, you know, Google added something like 100,000 employees during the pandemic or whatever. So, yes, they've let go of some people, but still headcount is way up over 2019. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that kind of tracks with like e-commerce growth is still up over 2019. It's just slowed since, you know, the the height and fury of the pandemic growth. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think where that's become most acute is in sort of a, a, a certain amount of privately held VC-backed companies, just because valuations went kind of like nutty there nice. for a lot of folks for a, a, a period of time. And so, you know, now you mentioned sort of like going to shows. I was at NRF in New York, which was great because uh, last year's NRF was Omicron. So it sort of like someone didn't have there was no very little attendance. So this was like record breaking year at NRF in New York, the Javits Center you know, tens of thousands of attendees, you know, went to Shop Talk in Vegas, just got back from that a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, about 8,000 people there for that. So the mood is definitely, I'd say guarded optimism, right? From yeah. It's guarded optimism. People are guarded in the sense that the easy money, the like, I'm just going to like slap my business plan down and go shop it out to, to a, a VC firm and they're going to like, I'm going to get an offer sheet, you know, <laughs> they're going to be fighting over me trying to, that's gone. Or at least slowed down quite a bit, and valuations are down to you know even for publicly traded companies are down to sort of like a healthy amount. But very few companies are like I'm going out of business now because there, nobody yeah. wants selling. Yeah. Generally speaking, if you're in tech, people want what you're selling, and if you're a merchant, as long as you have you've diversified your channel offerings well enough so that all your eggs are not in one D to C basket, and we can talk maybe about that a little bit more. I think you'll be fine the the challenges are more operational now for a lot of folks as they adapt it's a it's change management that's always the the hard part for for companies there happens to be a lot of change happening like in successive waves and so people are just dizzy from trying to pivot but that doesn't mean they've fallen over right so it's just more work yeah and, and i love that guarded optimism and that that's exactly what we're seeing you know we still have a healthy 
flow of, of merchants reaching out to OMG Commerce, asking for growth strategies on Google and on Amazon and elsewhere. And But there's also this trend of people more focused on business fundamentals, right? We want profitable growth. We want to be a healthy business, not just throwing money everywhere because we can't keep up with growth. And and I think brands are functioning and, and needing to function more like healthy businesses, which is the way it should be anyway. And so uh, that's definitely a trend as well. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about about platforms and technology because you know you and I used to hang out at IRCE back when that was a hot show, and we were getting to know each other when when Magenta was rocking and rolling. What are some of the shifts you've seen in terms of like tech stack and platforms? What has kind of changed in that regard since you know when, when you and I first started hanging out back in the earlier days of e-commerce? Right, the good old days. Uh, the good old days. Yeah, I feel like the obvious answer to that is software as a service. Um, you know, the move from on-premise sort of open sourced uh, or even closed source platforms like Oracle ATG, Magento, WooCommerce, moving towards software as a service as a delivery model. So the public cloud became a thing, right? And then multi-tenant SaaS became a thing. And the value proposition of being able to um, almost apply insurance math to businesses, which is law of large numbers, which says if I get enough people together in one data center, right, I'm mitigating my each individual merchant has their risk mitigated in terms of security, uptime, and stability. And your brands and your businesses no longer have to be mini IT companies or hire mini IT companies and full service agencies to host, run, operate, you know, a complicated piece of, of tech stack. That's definitely, I think it's certainly had the most impact in the platform and MarTech spaces. So if you look at how email campaigns are managed, if you look at attribution software, if you look at platforms, customer loyalty, right? It's, it's everything sassified now. It is. And it's it's even beginning to um, affect your legacy platforms like ERPs and OMSs, right? You're starting to see the back office is now catching up to the last 10 years of sort of innovation in tech, which which is fantastic and long past time. Um, it's hard to find COBOL developers, you know, these days. So I'd say the sassification is the biggest sort of like tech change. There's a, we may talk about it later. There's there's quite a bit we can say about composability and headless as well. I think the jury is still a little bit out on pieces of that and who that's for and why and why it matters. So I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a, uh, it generates... 80% of the hashtag thought leadership on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, it does. But it generates maybe 5% of the actual implementations in the world. So right, right. There's a there's a there's 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 definitely something to sort of explore there, but definitely SaaS is unquestioned. Like I don't Yeah, think yeah. on-premise software sort of like ruling the roost like it did back when we were walking around at IRC in 2014, 2015. Yeah, so a couple things I'll, I'll kind of key in on that. Uh, totally agree with you. Like SaaS has uh, it has taken over and you know, one of the things that, that I believe I heard at the, the last Big Commerce Partner Summit was, you know, uh, the belief and, and the position that kind of an open framework or an open model won back in the on-prem days when when really it was probably a better experience for you as a merchant and for the user if you secured your own hosting and had an on-prem, you know, option, on-premises option like Magento or whatever. Now it really is SaaS and, and there's so many benefits there. You talked about insurance, talk about, you know, their speed, all these things. And I, th- I think the commerce belief is that that more open is going to win on the SaaS side of things as well, right? Is that is that is that kind of a line or, or any perspective or insight on that? 
Yeah, very much so. Um, one of the reasons I'm here coming out of many you know, eight years of, of being in the Magento ecosystem is I believe in, in open and flexible and giving choices to merchants and brands to shape their digital future the way they want. You know, if you talk, a lot of times you'll talk to folks who are in on another platform that where they're kind of at the mercy of that platform team's roadmap. It's hard to innovate. It's hard to find developers who can work on it, or um, it's limited in what it can do, or it's, you know, got pretty strong guardrails around key pieces of it. Like, you know, like, like our friends in Canada with the green bag, you know, uh, they who shall not. Yeah. Don't think about it too deeply. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what. Right. Their approach to payments and fintech, you know, and you look at those, you look at those 8Ks and you kind of realize, you know, where the money's actually coming from. And so there are definitely plenty of brands and merchants for whom I've had this conversation many times. Flexibility is actually a negative. Like, and I saw this on Magento as well, like too, too much choice, too much optionality. And it, it bred analysis paralysis or a lack of maturity, maybe to be able to assess where something what should be where I should depart from the norm and where I should just stick with the sort of like the templated approach the platform gave yeah. me it, it limited yeah. speed and, and maybe caused people to go down the path of spending too much money and like when really right. just needed something simple just get the products up online and sell them be yeah go simple yep but some you can overcorrect on yeah. that you can overcorrect and go to a very safe platform where innovation is it maybe it meets your needs today um but innovation is challenging and you're kind of like you have vendor lock-in I think if there's anything that, that's probably at the heart of that headless and composable movement, it's people being wary of vendor lock-in. Like, because we've all been through, I think, the phase of, I fall in love with this product, and then it gets bought, and it gets acquired and rolled into a larger stack, uh, and then silently dies, right? Yeah, or, or just maybe doesn't innovate, right? Like, we've been seeing this, I've got some friends, and I'm more on the marketing side, not the tech side, but... Even like WordPress, right? WordPress used to be the, the platform, right? It was like, I don't even remember the, the percentage was like 30% of the internet was you know, on and it's kind of fading, right? Like I, I, I hear most people advising, don't do it, you know, when it comes to WordPress. So like almost every platform or channel can kind of have its day or, or there's the risk of the downfall of that platform. And then you potentially are, are stuck depending on how you built on it. No, totally agree. Although in full transparency, my 11-year-old daughter has a WordPress. So, I mean, is there's right? still, there's <laughs> WordPress is not dead yet. It's just, you know, not, not maybe. Dead. It was not on dead. a meteoric rise and it's maybe right. on a, a plateau or decline at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's do this here because you mentioned you mentioned Headless a couple of times. And, and you know, if, if, if you're about our age, it's not, we're not talking about like the, you know, Sleepy Hollow, dead, uh, Headless Horseman type right. of thing. Um, I want I want to get your perspective on what headless is because I still think there's a lot of people that are confused about it, and so I want to hear your kind of explanation. And then, what is what is the trend there? And I think you kind of nailed it where you said, "Hey, like everybody's talking about it. It's 80 percent of the headlines, but maybe about five percent of implementations are actually headless." But but yeah, what is it, and what's your perspective on it? Yeah, no, great question, um, and one I've one I've had to sort of grapple with quite a bit, uh, you know, in the last year. Um, I'll, I'll draw, I'll start maybe by illustrating what I consider sort of like two terms that get used kind of interchangeably in sort of like that, uh, the sort of, you know, LinkedIn content, uh, machine world that we live in, uh, headless and composability or headless and posable, right? So the way I describe it to people is 
headless is an adjective that you would apply to a piece of software. And it's all it means is that that software, usually it's applied to like an e-commerce platform or a website, a CMS or something like that, right? But it's a backend without a front end. So it would be like an e-commerce platform where I have a management utility or APIs and I can put my products into it and describe my products and um, access my customers and fill orders and things like that. But the interface, the screens, the elements, the buttons, the forms, that's not part of the platform. Instead, the headless platform is meant to have a different system on the front. So back in the day, way back in the day, for instance, we used to do, um, at an agency you and I uh, worked with, we used to do a lot of Magento in the back and WordPress on the front. Yep. Where it would be. Yeah, and quick shout out. I, we don't mind. I don't mind a vision at all. But Classy Llama was the agency. That's where we met. So shout out to Kurt and the crew. And the, the glory days of e commerce, man, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Classy Llama. I know you did uh, as well. But yeah, there was there was a lot of Magento on the back end, WordPress on the front end, right? Which we kind of dogged both of those platforms for, <laughs> yeah. on this podcast. But anyway, yeah, continue that thought. Well, so and, and that headless framework means that. Um, I'm picking a system that is maybe better for representing front-end content, but doesn't have the maturity to handle complex data on the back. So I take the system that's better for handling complex data like category taxonomy and product attributes, product media and images and long-form content and stuff like that. And I'm saying, I'm authoring all of that in this complicated system back here, but the thing that I'm going to use to build pages, they don't want a drag and drop editor. Maybe I want better sort of like media management tools. Maybe I want something that's more user friendly and less sort of like dev heavy and how it operates. I can I can basically like hot glue those two systems together and I go to a website and it's at you know mydomain.com and I click the store button and now I'm at store.mydomain.com. So I was on WordPress, then I hit the store.mydomain.com and now I'm on a, a big commerce or a, a Magento page, right? So headless simply means a back end with no front end. That's it. That's a, it, it, it labels a piece of software. Composability or composable is the adjective you would use for an entire tech stack for a company being made up of pieces that are uh, purpose-built to do one thing specifically. So in a composable landscape, I probably have a headless system, maybe multiple headless systems, and I also have a separate front end, and maybe I have a separate PIM you know, product information management system, there's a separate DAM or digital asset management system. I have lots of, maybe have a loyalty or promotions running, you know, r- running, I have search and merch. I'm using Klaviyo or Algolia or something. I'm taking lots of services and I'm knitting so them. Invested in class in these individual areas. Yes. And I'm knitting Sym- Symphony of e-commerce. That's perfect. Yeah, great analogy. Um, and so I would use multiple headless systems to make a composable stack. And... Where you get the confusion is that those two words get used interchangeably and it feels a little bit like one is meant to replace the other. And I think vendors uh, were probably as guilty of this as anybody else. Don't necessarily do our buyers any favors because you've got to kind of like sh- got to shovel your way through all the marketing speak to get to the to get to the reality. I think we've gotten a lot better about this, but definitely I see plenty of it still and plenty of confusion and FUD uh, on the yeah. topic. Dude, great explanation. Love that. Headless is really a, a back end without a front end. And then Composable is really joining all kind of the best in class or the things that work for different uh, business use cases and combining them, uh, composing them. So really, really good explanation there. Um, and and so 
yeah, do, do you see like, are the, are the headlines just going to fade away or, or is this move, uh, I'm guessing like the composability that that's probably uh, really a real direction that the industry is headed or what, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think about this a lot and depending on how I wake up in the morning, I might have a different view, but <laughs> at the moment, I actually totally don't, you right. I don't think it's going anywhere, which sounds maybe a little counter to my sort of crack about 80% of the thought leadership with yeah. 5% of the, I don't think it's going anywhere. And the reason I don't think it's going anywhere is that platforms, all the innovation, and I'm speaking specifically about e-commerce here at this point, the innovation, the new platforms being created or the platforms being improved, they all fit the composable model, right? Yeah. We knew. Um, we're part of the mock Because they know that's that's how you get product adoption, right, is by being composable. I, if I'm creating this new novel thing that has value in the marketplace, it's got to be composable or no one's going to buy it. Yeah, exactly. And I, so I think when I, when I survey the landscape, I spent a lot of time by virtue of this job looking at other e-commerce platforms, how they're built and who they're for. Um, I don't think composability and headless is going away uh, simply because there's too many people there's too many platforms self-identifying that way. And what will what will likely happen at some point is some of the there will be some kind of you know VC or private equity roll up of like multiple best in breeds and you'll create a brand new sort of like monolith of maybe multiple solutions and different that do different things, kind of like doing business as one. That's not new to business, right, Brett? Right. There's two ways to make money in business, bundling and unbundling. Yeah. Right. So we, we're in the middle of a big unbundling, which is the whole composability thing. At some point, there's going to be a rebundling. But architecturally, I don't think it's going to go back to being the way that like a Magento or a Woo or something got started where it's, it's completely different environments that don't, that don't communicate with each other. So if that, that's likely dead. Exactly. Yeah. Monoliths, right? We're not, I don't see anybody trying to build the next monolith, which makes me question whether or not we'll see another one. And so yeah. and if you yeah. look at the product direction of... Where Adobe is taking the sort of leftover bits of Magento, they're not trying to. They're not investing in making it a monolith. They're investing in making it a microservices-based uh, platform that connects to the rest of Adobe's services. So, yeah, yeah it just there's not a lot, a lot of people sort of advocating for it. So I think, but I think what will happen is I think platforms like us, like Big Commerce, are going to keep leading the way on making headless and composable more accessible. Yeah, because that's the biggest barrier right now. Is it is it can be complicated and it can be inaccessible, and it absolutely is not the right choice for a lot of people. Um, but I do think that over time, what will happen is headless composability will get more commoditized and it will become more accessible to a wider variety of of merchants who are going to want the benefits that that approach uh, provides without all of the overhead that goes with yeah. it. That's my guess. Right, makes sense. Totally makes sense. So I want to, in just a minute, I want to talk about some of the trends you're excited about and, and you and I have a, some good perspectives we want to share there. Uh, before we do, though, I just want to, because um, I think a lot of people don't know this, what is what what position is big commerce carving out in the marketplace? Who's big commerce trying to serve? And and really, where where is big commerce headed? And and I know you've got a unique perspective because you, you view the competitive landscape as what you do on a daily basis. But but talk to people about that who maybe just haven't heard from big commerce in a while. Yeah, no, that, thanks for the opportunity to pitch. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so big commerce, big com. I think you've 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 mentioned this a couple of times, both off off air and on air. You know, we 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 kind of fly under the radar for a lot of people. Um, there are other platforms that take that get a lot more with with bigger marketing spends. I think that get more attention. Uh, we've been around for for quite a while. Um, started off as an SMB platform. 
um, and have grown into an enterprise you know level platform. I would say that we squarely serve if you if you ask you know Gardner and Forrester and stuff you know that that we we serve the mid market. If you were to ask them, right, they would say we serve the mid market, which is that am, am, ambiguous term that means whatever anybody you know needs it to mean in any given sentence. But I would I would describe it as largely speaking that like you know. Five million to a billion dollars in on, online GMV, right? Like that's who we're. We're not trying to be SAP. Really, no desire to become sort of like a conglomerate. Um, you know, publicly traded. Uh, we're publicly traded, um, but we serve B two B, B two C merchants equally well. About thirty five, forty percent of our customer base, I believe, is is doing B two B. So we do quite a lot. Um, quite a lot of, of direct brands, but we're really built more for more, uh, I would say semi-complicated channel makeups. We're, we're built around the premise that merchants should be able to, should not, should be able to, we should be encouraging them to sell on every channel, every marketplace, every digital property that they possibly can to diversify, right? To reduce that risk of, of an economic slowdown in one channel, sort of like tanking the whole business, which we're, we're kind of seeing in some of the, some of those venture back like D to C brands that got kicked off in like 2018, 2019, 2020, right? If they, if you didn't have an in-store strategy, if you didn't have a marketplace strategy, you're kind of feeling it right now. We're there to serve those merchants um, as well as we can by taking what is kind of like a complicated series of like, I need to manage multiple web properties from one backend. I need to manage multiple marketplaces and ad networks from one backend. We figured out how to make that actually pretty straightforward and simple. And so we're best serving mid-market merchants who are growing into multiple channels or established brands that are kind of already there. And they're usually looking to get off of some kind of antiquated piece of like highly expensive legacy software and move to something more modern. Yeah, and that was one of the things that really spoke to me as I was at that that partner summit was you know this focus on that mid market, and I think another point of clarification one one thing I heard someone mentioned was that you know and even more like in the ten million to a couple hundred million range, right? That's a real sweet spot spot for big commerce. I know you can work with people that are a little bit smaller, and of course that are bigger, but that's I think that that's where a lot of growth in e commerce is going to come from. That's the type of business that, that OMG Commerce wants to work with. Like I think there's a lot of exciting things with that size merchant that you can do either as an agency or as a, as a platform. And, um, and yeah, so then when, when should someone, if someone's out there, they're maybe not exactly loving the platform they're on, when should they start thinking, maybe I should check out big commerce. Maybe I should look at what, what it's, what it has to offer. What are some, some pain points that often pop up that big commerce has a, has an interesting solution for? Yeah. Great. Great question. Um, adding channels or and optimizing existing channels is a big one. So we acquired a company called Feedonomics um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, Feedonomics does um, optimization and management of product data across ad networks and marketplaces and makes it really, really easy to sort of like spin up and turn on. Hey, do you want to get into Target Plus? Do you want to get into Amazon or one of the, one of the many Amazons? Do you want to go to Google, Walmart? You know, do you want to advertise on TikTok? Uh, meta like there's about 500 i think supported sort of channels between marketplaces and, and ad networks uh making that simple and making that optimized so that it performs really well kind of using ai to optimize that mix of product data works better for i would say more high skew count merchants usually if you've got if you're only selling 50 SKUs, you probably don't need ai to optimize your feed you should be able to do that yourself in, in an hour or two um but you know if you're 
you know, maybe a little bit larger, you need that help. I would also say on the, on the, on the platform side, we get a lot of people who start calling us when they start hearing no, um, from their existing vendors because some, because maybe that vendor happens to have, uh, very tight opinions about how the checkout should look and doesn't allow custom customizing the checkout. Um, we also get a lot of folks, we have a very large office in London, so we do, I don't know if that's necessarily if, if Europe is your target audience, but we have a lot of expansion in Europe because we're very friendly to uh, regional regional fulfillment and payment models um, worldwide. And so because we're so global, we get a lot of folks who are doing cross-border and they don't, they're not necessarily looking to just like outsource that to like, you know, um, uh one of the many sort of providers that that sort of like handles cross-border outsourcing they want to do it themselves um and we also get a lot of people looking to explore headless for the first time to be honest definitely going back to that earlier statement we have more headless implementations than any other partner in the mock client yep because we're so we're so gosh darn easy to use brett Uh, (laughs) and so accessible and because we have a front end. Actually, you don't have to. I mean, most of our customers aren't using us headlessly. You don't ever need to think about it with us. But if you do or you want to, you're 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 curious about exploring it with us. You can simply deploy us one whole big commerce, get started, and then slowly pull stuff back over time as your business demands. There's really no other platform that allows you to sort of mix and match in a composable, like slowly transition to composable. So I like to tell people we're the last e-commerce platform you should ever need because we enable pretty much every method of selling on any channel that anybody wants with big commerce. So if that sounds appealing to a merchant, then they should probably give us a call. Dude, that's a good line. The last e-commerce platform you'll ever need. Um, and a close second is we're just so gosh darn easy. I think, I don't know what marketing is going to go with, but I think you should pitch both those taglines. And uh, as long as you get credit for them, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> I think, I think one of those will work. So uh, Awesome. If we're coming up against time a little bit, but I want, I want to spend a little bit of time here. Uh, what are some trends you're excited about? And, and you kind of alluded to, to one big one that I know we both want to chime in on a little bit, but what are you excited about in, in the world of e-commerce and trends that we're seeing? I'm really excited about how Omnichannel is being redefined right now uh, among among merchants and vendors in the space. So back, back when you and I were, were, were met in you know, 2014, 2015, you'd go to IRCE, and the, everybody was omni-channel, right? So everybody's composable now. Everybody was omni-channel. Totally. It didn't matter what you were selling. It was omni-channel, you know? Omni-channel. So, all of it. It's all the channels. All the channels. All the channels, right. And what it, what it, what it meant, though, a, a lot that then was um, my point of sale talked to my uh, my inventory management system, which talked to my e-commerce platform. Endless aisle, right? I can... I What if I used my stores as fulfillment centers, Right. Um, what if I shared customer data between a, a, a digital customer and a web? Because it's very, it's very, it was very siloed. Still is for a lot of brands. Like the 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 web, the web store is very siloed operationally from the physical store. And so omni-channel meant things like Bluetooth beacons in your store that would like, you know, connect to shoppers' phones as they were walking through and show them like 360 views of things or let them order stuff that wasn't on the shelf, like beaconing, you know. And then it's changed a little bit, right? Now it feels like it's more about advertising and transacting on other platforms, digital platforms, besides besides just owned web properties, right? And so now you see omni-channel deployed to not only mean what I just described previously, but also is now inclusive of 
selling on social media networks, of which there's a new one every couple of weeks, it seems like, and transacting on new marketplaces, of which there's a new one every couple of weeks because everybody's building their own marketplace now. And so there's a lot of that unified commerce is the buzzword I saw at NRF and Shop Talk this year earlier, uh, meaning it's just commerce. It's just commerce. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. It's just commerce and the brand needs to be anywhere where its potential customers are. And so you have a lot to manage and optimize, but the opportunity to grow is actually huge, even given the economic conditions that we're in, because people are everywhere and they're fragmented. And so you've got to go find them. You've got to go optimize your message for that channel. But the channels are robust enough. The reporting is robust enough and the audiences are large enough that you can actually make money. You have to work pretty hard not to make money. So I'm yeah. excited yeah, I love that perspective because you're never going to hear a shopper say, I just want an omni-channel merchant. If, if there could just be some omni-channel offerings, they don't think about that, right? But they want products to be easily purchased, right? If they're on Facebook and they just want to shop and they want to buy right there, they want to buy right there. If they prefer to shop on Amazon, they want your product to be there. If there are some products that they want to buy in store, they want to buy it in store. And, and you know, what we're seeing, I know you're seeing this too, is that the the pure play D2C brand where all they do is sell on their.com, that's probably not the path to get where you ultimately want to go, whether that's long-term profitability or to sell your brand or whatever. Uh, usually you're going to need to go multi-channel or omni-channel, right? Or 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 this unified commerce of my.com is crushing it. I'm, I'm utilizing Google and YouTube and all that the Google ecosystem has to offer. I'm maximizing my opportunities on Facebook and Meta and Instagram and other social platforms. And I'm maybe selling on shop on Facebook and I'm maximizing marketplaces. And yes, they're growing. Obviously, Amazon is by far the biggest, but you got to think about Walmart and Target. And you guys are really, you guys are closely integrated with Target. And there's lots of exciting things right there. Don't sleep on the Target marketplace. It's not huge. It's not for everybody, but we've seen merchants on the Target marketplace really do well, really move some volume of products there, which is which is pretty exciting. And you need to be in store, right? There's some products people like to buy in store. But yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Aaron. Just, hey, Target Plus is, is invite only still to my understanding, unless that's changed. And we we're able to- You guys have like that back door a little bit of that in. Rope. We can get you under the velvet rope to the VIP lounge is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Just talk to Aaron. And uh, actually, OMG, through, we're, we're connected to the Heatonomics crew. And so we can help you get in there as well. And uh, yeah, shout out to Brian Roizen. One of the founders of Feedonomics, he was on this show back in 2018, if you can believe that, Aaron Sheehan. Uh, uh, he's he's an OG, that Brian Royce. That's a thought leader, Brett. Uh, yeah. Before it was even true, before everyone was even talking Omnichannel, we were going Omnichannel right here on this show. So, man, there's there's more things I want to ask you, Aaron. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that we're, we're up against time here just a little bit, but... Um, how can people connect with you? Because you 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 seem to me anyway, and uh, to be pretty active on LinkedIn and other places. So where can people find you? And and those who want to just kind of learn, explore, stay up on how tech stacks are developing and things like that. Uh, how how should they they find you? Well, if you're in Springfield, look out your window. You could probably <laughs> yeah, yeah. A small place. You you'll see him. Small place. Stick his hand. Yeah, the just, yeah. I live on top of the water tower. Um, <laughs> it's really easy to spot. Um, no, I'm very, I'm, I'm probably too online. So I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn, um, primarily. Um, so I'm pretty easy to find Aaron Sheehan on either of those. Uh, I've had that handle for a while. Um, I'm also, it's Aaron.Sheehan at bigcommerce.com. If you want to drop me an email, um, 
I do eventually read all my emails. Uh, <laughs> but probably a LinkedIn or Twitter DM is the fastest way to get a hold of me. Totally. So and that's just cool, right? You want to just drop into somebody's inbox, you know, un- uninvited necessarily. But that's right. Why is it the DMs? DMs? Slide into the DMs. That's totally acceptable these days. So, um, and then those that are that are interested in in uh, you know feedonomics or big commerce, how should they um, uh, go further there? Bigcommerce.com, feedonomics.com. There are prominent calls to action on uh, both of those both of those sites. Uh, you can certainly also. Uh, you can talk to Brett at OMG if you're interested in learning more about uh, Feedonomics as well through uh, his fine agency and team. Um, and you can, of course, reach out to me directly if you want to get a hold of anybody at Big Commerce. I can connect you pretty quickly, whether you're an agency looking for a partnership or you're a merchant who's interested in getting a demo or maybe just learning more about the platform. Aaron Sheehan, ladies and gentlemen. Aaron, this has been a blast. I wish we had more time. There's more things we want to talk about. But all that means... Is we just need to schedule round two here before too long. In person. In person. person. Yes. That is our quasi promise to you, listener. And I'm sure that carries a lot of weight. Next time we do this show, actually, we've got two of these microphones. So we could set up a little studio here. I can slide over. We could be here in the same studio. It only add about a minute and a half to your commute. And um, let's let's do it. Let's do it. So, all right, right, man. Really appreciate it. Yep. Take care. Awesome. And thank you for tuning in. Uh, We would not, could not do this show without you. And hey, we'd love your feedback. So would you like to hear more of on this show? And if you have not done it yet, we'd love to see that review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. It makes my day. And hey, I think I'm going to start reading some of those reviews on this show just for fun, just to call people out. So with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.